Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamualaikum brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the coronavirus um, diaries, which we have every day. Uh, with me is Ustad Abu Yusuf. Assalamualaikum Abu Yusuf. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today? Alhamdulillah, bikhair. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Brothers and sisters, welcome today. Uh, joining us our fifth day. By the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Five days. Allahu Akbar. Love you to please grab your phone, whatever you're watching on, and go and share the video. Uh, invite uh, other Muslims to join us, inshallah ta'ala, on this fifth day. I'm just going to share on my other page. Uh, Bismillah, post, there we go. So, how's the day been, Abu Yusuf? Alhamdulillah, it's been uh, quite interesting uh, being at home, so trying to find a regular routine, um, you know, now that uh, people are pretty much uh, quarantined in their own homes. Uh, it's interesting, really, today uh, in the UK, I think we're going to see some more measures uh, by the government uh, he, he just he just made a speech uh, nearly 30 25 or so minutes right. ago where yes. it's uh, yes he said only go out for necessities for necessities yeah. stay at home so more measures and it will be enforced as well so, yeah i think uh, you know nasiha hasn't worked now from the government so it needs to be backed by the authority so yeah. uh, Will be interesting to see. Our discussion today, um, before we started, we to remind ourselves, you know, in these times to have some routines, and one of our routines is to uh, start the show with this uh, this dua that uh, it's one of many duas that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us to say. Uh, people say it in the morning, in the evening, and, and really reminding us of the power of Allah subhanahu. Wa ta'ala to help the Muslim in any situation that he faces. So, inshallah, we go to the dua. Amin, Ya Rabb. Today's topic, um, situation in the Muslim countries. Um, brothers and sisters, some of you are watching from across the Muslim world. I would love to hear your comments, your questions, your thoughts. What is happening where you are? How is the issue of this coronavirus pandemic, this health crisis, how has it been handled where you are? How are the governments dealing with it? What is the reaction of the people? 
please post your thoughts, your comments, so that we can see and take some of them as we go along. Um, Abu Yusuf, what has been your experience of following what is happening in the Muslim countries? SubhanAllah, I think, you know, um, the Muslim countries in terms of the news is, was kind of breaking out in the last few days more and more now. So, uh, you know, we've heard now cases of coronavirus in Gaza, also in Kashmir. Uh, we know about Iran, it's been happening for a few weeks. So I think in the next uh, few weeks, we're going to see more and more headlines um, as we actually go through these days. So I think uh, it's going to be very challenging and very testing time uh, for the Muslim Ummah uh, as like for the rest of the world. So um, coronavirus knows no border, no, knows no religion, no nationality. Uh, if it has an opportunity to spread, it will spread. Um, but it will be interesting to see um, how the Muslim Ummah handles this uh, situation uh, given our current state. Um, um, I thought that in this part of the program, uh, part of the show, for us to actually go through the situation in some of the Muslim countries. So we've got stories from, uh, I've got coronavirus in Muslim countries from, from Gaza, uh, Gaza, Iran, Egypt, and, and, and Bangladesh. And um, the first one that, that really struck me is, is the situation in uh, the situation in Gaza. There's a there's there's a story here. Let me just bring it up on the screen. There's a newspaper uh, headline. Uh, a story. This is from Gaza. Um, Fear, anxiety as besieged Gaza confirms first two coronavirus cases. Um, Subhanallah, two cases in Gaza. How are people gonna cope? I mean, Gaza. Um... SubhanAllah, I mean, we were always uh, worried and afraid about Gaza because Gaza's situation is that it's already uh, under blo blo uh, blockade. Uh, it's been under blockade for, for years. Um, there's two million Muslims or so who are uh, living under the occupation of the, the Zionist uh, occupation. Um, at the same time, uh, the blockade has also been enforced by the Egyptian government as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, given the situation in... Um, in 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 Gaza, with two million people and you know fifty percent or so, they they you know the children, um, and the lack of facilities, um, medical facilities, is uh, increasingly worrying, given that you know two million people in a very small uh, piece of land, um, so the opportunity of the virus spreading very quickly uh, is very high. So it's very concerning. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Um, one of the, the doctors, uh, one of the people doing the testing in, in, in Gaza, one of the people involved in the medical stuff, he made the points that if big countries with all those resources are struggling, that, you know, this Gaza, which really is a prison, um, are, are struggling. And I, I think, you know, when we think of the blockade of Gaza and you talk about the blockade who's been responsible for this blockade i mean if you think about uh what's happening i mean this is a wider case about palestine but uh mm -hmm. is very acute in the sense that you've got two million people uh, on this uh, strip and uh they are blockaded you know air sea land completely uh from all sides and uh and it's, it's a wider issue really in terms of you know the coronavirus is kinds of 
spots the uh, puts the spotlight on the issue of Palestine to show that the Muslims in Palestine they're in this if you like open prison uh, whilst surrounded by Muslim countries uh, who are now at the moment you know lining up uh, in order to normalize uh, relationships with, with, the um, with the Zionist entity you know with Trump's so-called you know deal of the century and all sorts of other nonsense that's been uh, put forward but in this very acute situation there's two million muslims uh, given the lack of infrastructure lack of facilities uh who is going to come to their aid subhanallah. It is, subhanallah it's a it's a dire situation i mean yes in the western countries they are struggling but in the western countries relatively they have some level of infrastructure and some level of planning and coordination and leadership although they're trying to contain it where you know, in the Muslim countries, or Gaza specifically, they're starting from ground zero. Um, no. Any infrastructure. So the the challenge of containing uh, this uh, virus is uh, it's very very difficult there. And, and you know, it really points to the issue of you know the Muslim Ummah and how we're dealing with these problems. Uh, coronavirus just happens to be another problem that we have to deal with. Um, and again, I think, you know, as, as we go through our stories, whether it's in Iran or Kashmir, we'll find some common themes which will emerge over and over again about how we actually deal with the problems uh, of the Muslims. Uh, and one other thing with Gaza was that um, their blockade is also, you know, they're blockaded by the Zionists on one side and the Egyptian government CC blockades it on the other side. And if somebody said, you know, when you say self-isolation in Gaza, you know, with two or so million people, I think, in, in this strip, it, 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 it doesn't even make sense where people hardly have space to live. So when you say self-isolation, some of the people who came back from Egypt, uh, who traveled there for treatment, one of the one of our, our, our mothers there, one of the sisters there was saying they were put in a, in a facility with several people to a room as yeah. quarantine from coronavirus. Yes. So if anybody has it, that's actually a way to spread it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect this, this ummah that's been hammered from all sorts of sides. We move on. Um, the next place actually is Egypt. Uh, that Egypt, so this uh, newspaper headline that I've put up, Egypt, rate of coronavirus cases likely to be higher than figures suggest. And it makes the point that the Egyptian government was saying that it has control of everything. But because of tourism is so important, some days ago, it actually had refused to close the tourist sites. I don't know if it's closed them today. And, and also, the government was claiming that, um, you know, Egypt is, is, is not a source. And they were contradicted by one of the other countries whose citizens got coronavirus and the strain is from Egypt. So you, there seems to be lies even from the government about the real extent of the effect of this and therefore who's going to believe them about how they're dealing with it i mean uh, this is a uh, a common problem in the muslim world the lack of trust in in our governments which just indicates regarding their legitimacy and and times like this you will find governments will try to uh, manipulate or hide or you know misinform the public in order to maintain some sort of stability um but um but this is a real problem because if the information is not correct and the disinformation and the public has to react to it the public needs to get a sense of how bad the situation is um so if if these figures are not correct or you know they're not the best estimate they've been uh, played with 
then you are really playing with the risk of the public. Okay. Um, and I was thinking about countries like Egypt and others in the Muslim world, and when you are asking Muslims, for example, to stay stay home or self-isolate, hmm. the Muslims in those countries, they're going to face really some tough situation. SubhanAllah. Some people, some people in those countries, if somebody is a, is a street trader yeah. or a market trader, yeah. some of them go to trade on a day, they yeah. earn something from it, then they get money to feed themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So their choice is, is two. One is I take the risk of going out, either get contaminated myself or contaminate others, or I feed myself and my family. And so you've got this, they're not really choices, right? You've got these two impossible situations and people are going to make uh, decisions based on this. And most likely many people will actually go out to the streets or go out to to the markets to, you know, make their daily sort of uh, uh, business in order mm -hmm. to feed their family. And this really highlights the issue of you need to have a, an authority, you need to have a government that really looks after the affairs of the people. We may, for example, criticize the West, and we have the right to criticize the West on many, many fronts. But in the Western countries, there is an expectation from the public that you know, the one who will ensure or look after our affairs as a last resort, if you like, is going to be the state. So, for example, here in the UK, the government had no choice if you had to contain this issue to come out with this unprecedented measure of providing 80% of the salaries. Mm -hmm. the because they realize fundamentally, they realize one thing. If we're asking people to stay home, right, in order to contain the viruses, People still got to pay the bills. People still mm. got to eat, feed their family. We need to now ensure that we can contain the the virus at the same time uh, the people can actually feed themselves. Now, you know, obviously there's going to be some long-term consequences of these policies, but in the here and now, the government stepped in and, you know, took this action. In the Muslim world, in the Muslim world, you're going to have a situation where you're not going to have these types of measures uh, in order to look after the affairs of the people. And it's not because there isn't any resources. It's not because there isn't any money, right? It's because the way our politics uh, mm. is set up and our expectation of our rulers as well, amongst the Muslims as well. So unfortunately, in the Muslim countries, not are we going to experience the, the, the consequences of the coronavirus, mm -hmm. also drastic political and social consequences because the way in which our societies are organized and in particular in the ways in which our governments manage the affairs of Muslims. I, I think maybe, maybe we, we can use the word the way they mismanage the affairs of the Muslims, you know, the, 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 the healthcare normally, unless you have money, very difficult to get decent healthcare in the Muslim countries. Um, decent. Unless you have a lot of money or you're amongst the elite, very difficult. One other story before we move on, which is the situation, a really dire situation in, in Iran. Um, so this headline, which was uh, this headline at the time of this headline, Iran's death toll coronavirus climbs to 1,812 with 127 new deaths. The situation in Iran, uh, one of the officials was talking about people dying every X number of minutes. So it's it's a really, really bad situation in Iran. 
Subhanallah, Iran, I think, you know, when we're looking at the situation with Iran, Iran, obviously, in the beginning of the crisis, it was kind of denied as to the extent of the crisis by the government. And then, you know, the people begin to start questioning and challenging it. And now it is it's probably one of the most severe cases um, in uh, in the world, alongside with Italy and Spain and uh, these countries. Mm. Uh, and it's not getting any better. Uh, and again, you know, the politics, again, it has, you can't remove the politics. Iran is under sanctions. Um, and these sanctions are there. They haven't been lifted. There's been calls to li lift these sanctions. Uh, now, Iran, given the fact that they're under sanctions, they can't sell their oil, etc., bring revenues, uh, it, you know, it creates uh, the situation even worse. And again, for Muslims, you know, uh, these sanctions are there, and uh, you find these sanctions are pretty much uh, uh, enforced and, and upheld by the Americans. Uh, but given the fact that other countries, if they were to break these san sanctions, especially the European countries and others, then there will be mm. consequences on their firm. But there is a question here. Why are the Muslim countries? Why are the Muslim countries upholding these sanctions? Why are the Muslim countries uh, follow towing this line? Uh, since when do Muslims actually boycott other Muslims? And this, this is a very important question again, that we have, we've just seen recently, you know, Saudi Arabia, and I think the boycott policy towards Qatar, if you remember, you know, Muslims are boycotting Muslim countries, right? Uh, coronavirus does not differentiate between whether you're Shia or Sunni. It doesn't, it doesn't care about these, uh, these differences. Uh, and the, the, the people in Iran, they're, even they're, they're Shia, they're, they're Muslim. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and it raises those political questions again uh, regarding how the politics of the Muslim world is managed. And we can see the massive fractures uh, and problems is just being highlighted by this particular virus uh, in Iran. So really, we looking here at this point about the coronavirus in Muslim countries. We've mentioned Gaza. We've mentioned uh, Iran. We've mentioned Egypt. Uh, the last one, uh, briefly, is Bangladesh, where there's an article where the, the, the Prime Minister, Sheikh Hasina, said some days ago that Bangladesh is able to cope. Bangladesh is, has, has capability to cope. And I read that, and I, what do you think of that statement? I mean, see, the I think uh, is it John John Hopkins uh, University, um, and also based on the modelling that the uh, Imperial College they have done, they've taken these sort of models and statistics and looks at the trends, and they made this like horrific prediction that you know potentially if this issue is not controlled in places like Bangladesh, up to God forbid that 150 million people could die. So it's just like, you know, this is the horrific. 150, maybe 1,000. 150,000. Uh, SubhanAllah. Uh, yeah, Allah Allah die. Um, so, so it's just like, you know, and it's not, I don't think it's scaremongering these figures uh, necessarily, but it's all, but in light of these kinds of situations, you're going to have, the, some governments are going to be in a state of denial or, or mm. in a state to preserve their own, uh, own legitimacy as opposed to, look at the problem and admit there is you have a problem and you need to solve this problem um so again bangladesh is another country you know high population uh, infrastructure healthcare, poor sanitation all of these factors are just going to add to the problem itself uh, and again um yeah, the the politics is coming back down to the politics of our countries 
you know, given our countries that we have resources, we have wealth, we have mm -hmm. manpower, why is there no investment? Why is there no infrastructure uh, in these countries? Um, and it's just highlighting that um, this issue. And this is something, you know, in Islam, uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that you know, he mentioned in so many places uh, in 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 the Sunnah, that uh, that it is a responsibility for um for the government uh, to provide the basic needs uh, of every citizen. There's a hadith, a very beautiful hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that uh, man uh, whosoever begins his day feel, uh, feeling um, uh, secure, uh, feeling secure uh, in his family, uh, and he feels he has good health in his body, uh, and he has food for that day, as if he has possessed the entire world. Allahu Akbar. is mentioning the issue of security and good health and having provision for the day. These are basic, these are basic uh, uh, rights uh, and needs that every government uh, under Islam needs to actually fulfill and should be the priority, number one pri economic priority is how do we fulfill these, uh, these duties. Brothers and sisters, you're watching uh, our daily show, 9 p.m., Coronavirus Diaries, and today we're, we're thinking about ourselves. The last few days, we're talking of ourselves, the situation in the wherever we are, but also we are part of an ummah, the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And today we thought, let's, let's look wider as to what is actually the situation facing the Muslims in the Muslim world, in Gaza, in Bangladesh, in, in Egypt, uh, and what you see is, is is incompetence from the part of the rulers is sometimes covering up the real extent of the of, of, of the situation. And also in terms of for the people, it's it's a dire situation. You know, some people cannot afford not to go out in order to feed themselves. Um, people don't trust the government. So when the government says one thing, people are actually questioning is that really the real case? Um and I think what we can see is that the coronavirus pandemic has lifted the carpet and we can see what's under the carpet so it's always been known that we have bad health care poverty unemployment all these issues um occupation in gaza and now to respond those countries which have all these problems everything becomes very apparent um unfortunately um please share the video would love to hear your thoughts your comments uh give us a comment below show some love your thoughts and questions um, there was a uh, interesting uh, report, Tajia, I read, I think it was yesterday or day before, just when I was thinking about this show. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can post it in, in, in the feed afterwards. Inshallah. Um, so some researchers, they did a research to look, compare Muslim-majority uh, countries, their health system, uh, Muslim-majority meaning 50% or more, compared to uh, Western countries in terms of how they actually fed. And obviously yeah. it fares very badly. And they identified, interestingly, four factors uh, which actually um, creates that massive disparity uh, between healthcare in the West and in the Muslim country. The first- what are, Just quite quickly, what are those factors? So first one that was mentioned in terms of the, the, uh, the government expenditure uh, on healthcare per capita mm. is much lower 
right? Then it's in the West, right? That, that was one. Secondly, what was mentioned is regarding the issue of uh, education, ed health education. So in terms of uh, from, you know, in, in the society, uh, how, uh, they, how much they are aware about different types of diseases and what protection you can take. So it's just information and awareness. Okay. And thirdly, which was the issue of water, clean water, because issue uh, of you know one of the basic things that i've known from years ago one yeah. of the, it's like what basic one-on-one -on -one is that if you have clean water in a society yeah. people can wash their plates people can have a bath people can drink clean water diarrhea dysentery so many waterborne diseases you eliminate just by having clean water in a society yeah that was one and then the fourth one was you know interesting point they made was that corruption they said like mm -hmm. around you know over three trillion dollars are uh, usually invested in healthcare, but in the Muslim countries because there's no paper trail, there's no there's no accountability, so there's a lot of corrupt. Even if there's any money spent in the educate uh, in the health system, there's a lot of corruption uh, involved uh, in the state and in the bureaucracy. So these are, but you can see all of these points. They're multifaceted. So mm. you want to really deal with the problems in the Muslim country, mm -hmm. you need to have a very comprehensive approach of how to deal with this. And it touches on good governance. It touches on accountability. It touches on having clean water, ha having education. So it's not a simple problem uh, in the Muslim world of providing this. But it needs to have a comprehensive approach in dealing with that. And I think, again, these kinds of reports, they highlight to us that the problems in the Muslim world, they're so interconnected. We are looking for a comprehensive change, a comprehensive approach, because you can't solve these problems by just by tackling one aspect. You have to tackle the various different aspects that contribute to the problem uh, so that you can actually deal with it in a fundamental way. There's yes. report. Okay, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do that maybe one of the things from this crisis is an awakening amongst us as an ummah as to how to solve these problems and you keep saying governance needing for a state to help to tackle these issues um so let's move to the second part of the show in my mind which is really the islam's approach towards health and when we were speaking before the show um you mentioned uh, a point i've just put up a slide here um you, you were talking about the Islamic health policy approach, how Islam actually looks to the issue of health. Is it a side issue? Is it a duty on the state? Um, do we have a track record of providing health care in society for a population? What is Islam's approach? Firstly, I think it's uh... Uh, as a basic point is to mention that Islam is pro-medicine, pro-healthcare. Pro and the reason why it's worth mentioning this, because as we know, there's many hadith uh, referring to this, for example, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, for, um, for every disease, Allah has created a cure, uh, except death, meaning that seek the cure uh, for all the diseases. And it's a very important point to understand this because also, although we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ultimately the one who cures people, he's the one who actually gives shifa. Yeah. So we rely on him on that. And, and he is the one who ultimately uh, cures the people who are sick. 
But here the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam having a belief in that is telling the Muslims to seek the means. This is a really important point because that means our philosophy is that as, as a ummah, as a society, that we will be thinking, we should be thinking about what is the best way to provide healthcare. You know, it will, it will open our minds and our horizon up into research in pharma pharmaceutical, in producing doctors and clinicians and having a world-class uh, health service. It's very important to think about that. And I think it's important to, the reason I mentioned this, many of us may not think about Islam and healthcare policy. It doesn't kind of sound right because you think of Islam, Islam's the five pillars, right? So maybe, maybe, because you know, when you actually think healthcare policy, um, I'll tell you what right now, in the Muslim world, as in anywhere else, people are thinking, how do we improve healthcare? How do we deal with this pandemic? But in the Muslim world, I am fairly sure, I would love to hear people's comments uh, on, on this statement of mine. I don't think it comes to people's mind to think, what does Islam say? I think people will be like, well, look at America, look at the UK, look at Denmark, look at the health setup there. What can we learn? What can we, and I'm not saying that's wrong, Mm. But I'm saying that in these matters, we're followers. And as we can see with the, with, the, with the health system in the UK, the health system in the UK is creeping at the seams. It's, it's you know, um, you know I, I, a relative of mine is supposed to have a, an appointment and that appointment was delayed and delayed. You know, she's suffering, but it's been delayed for like six months. And if you have money, you can go down the road to Harley Street, the private hospitals and clinics. If you have hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds, she can get the treatment. But on the National Health Service as a taxpayer, you know, mm. there are many, so it is better than Muslim countries. But the thing is, we're not leaders in this issue, actually, we're, we're far, far backward. And what you're saying is different to that. Yeah, that's the other point to mention in terms of, in the West, I mean, for example, in America, uh, it, they don't have a sort of NHS equivalent, right? They have a- And NHS being the national, the national health, health service. service. Yeah. Where here in Britain and in the last uh, elections, if you remember, there was a big debate yeah, about the future of the NHS because there's a whole discussion around, you know, the creeping privatization of the NHS. So there is a debate in Western societies whether health is whether it's a public good or a private good, right? Whether it's something is a responsibility of the state to provide to all of its citizens or whether it should be privatized, yeah, you know, those who can afford to have it. In Islam, this question has been settled by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi And you might want to show the, the hadith. Yep, I've got, I've, I've got it up. Yeah, where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi and the Khulafa that came after, they demonstrated to us that it is the duty of the state. It is the duty of the state to provide all of its citizens uh, basic health care. So, for example, there's a hadith which is uh, uh, narrated um, from Jabir. That the Prophet sallallahu uh, alaihi wasallam, in the in the translation, is that Allah's messenger, may the peace and blessing be upon him, sent a physician uh, to obey Ibn Kaab, and he cut the vein and then cauterized it. So here you have a situation. This is the case of Rasulullah in Medina, and in Medina he is a leader of a state, and being a leader of a state, he is responsible for the welfare of his citizens. 
and one of the needs of the citizen is healthcare. And this is the case of Ubay bin Kaab that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he sent a doctor. Yeah, he sent a doctor to Ubay bin Kaab and you know to cut the vein and to cauterize it. And obviously, that's the treatment at that time. And this was followed by the Khulafa that came after. So, for example, time of Umar bin Khattab. Um, there's a narration that's been mentioned that uh, um, in uh, Zaid bin Aslam uh, from his father, he said that I felt uh, severely sick at the time of Umar bin Khattab, who called a physician for me. He warmed me up to the extent I would suck on, on date pits due to the intense heat. So here we are seeing Umar bin Khattab is the ruler of the Muslims and mm. somebody is sick and he sent a doctor. These examples and many others show to us very clearly that it is the duty, it's an obligation of an Islamic state to provide health care. Now, and the, and the Islamic in providing health care, it requires for Muslims to have hospitals, it requires Muslims to have doctors and nurses and to have universities and, and research labs and, and R&D and all of these things in order to provide that. And this is not something was theoretical. This was like something actually practiced in history of, of, of the Muslims. And I think probably not a couple of quotes yes. from uh to testify that the Muslims, when it came to healthcare in our history, uh, we were leading in that because no. these are the values and laws and responsibilities of the state. So maybe you can share one or, one or two of those quotes. No, uh, we actually have the quotes up on the screen from uh, William Durant, an American philosopher and historian, who says, Islam led the whole world in creating good hospitals and supplying them with their needs. And that an example of this uh, is that the Bimaristan established by Nur al-Din in Damascus in 1160 lasted for three centuries, treating patients for free and supplying them with medicine without cost. Historians say it was like a flame that kept glowing for 267 years. And that's a very interesting quote, Taji. In that time, you've got to think about the situation of Europe. Europe was in the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Muslims at that time, they were providing healthcare service for all of its citizens. And non-Muslims can testify to it. Unfortunately, today, the reality is that we can't point to examples in the Muslim country. Um, we only can point to our historical examples. But it just goes to show when you've coupled the principles and the values of Islam with an authority that will implement those values, implement those policies, this is the type of output that you have and this is the type of testimony that you will get from sincere historians when they look back at our history. So, you know, this issue of providing health care, Muslims have done it in the past. Uh, and I think, you know, many of us who study Islam and science and how Muslims were leaders in, in the past in, in medicine and, and in, in, the, in, the, in that entire field and how the West benefited from it, I think this is well established. So the Muslims do have a historical... The reality of the Muslims is that, alhamdulillah, we were able to be pioneers and look after one another. Now, you said it's an obligation on the Islamic State. And we learned this from the hadith of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of how he looked after the people. Uh, secondly, um, that we have a historical examples of how this occurred. Um, 
the reality in the Muslim world today is what you know what what is needed in order to again have this comprehensive healthcare that looks after people where there's money there's investment where there's expertise um have you noticed that some of the names that come up about the scientists trying to find the cure for the coronavirus you find muslim names have you noticed that you find muslim names among some I mean, of these people you know, if you look at you know many of the news uh, channels uh, you often find you know microbiologist you know who happens to be uh, um, an expert in his field um, today for example I, I don't know if you saw this Taji one of our mutual friends uh, uh, from uh, and he's a he's a scientist and is in Palestine and he mm. was talking about how he wanted to create a, uh, a testing a potential testing uh, solution uh, for coronavirus uh, but uh, the Palestinian Authority would not give him the opportunity and the same um, science if you like has been taken up by I think Oxford or Cambridge University and, the, and they're creating that and his point was that is that you know the leadership in our countries they just want to have a third world mentality and they want to remain third world and and he's a scientist so that so in terms of you know the brains if you like the know-how mm. Muslims mm. Don't, you know you just have to go to the NHS here in the UK how many Muslim doctors and physicians are mm. in the NHS you know um, uh, you just have to go to the R&D labs in the West to find out you know Muslim professionals who are at the top of their game but they're in the Western countries why is that the case and the simple reason for that is that in the Muslim countries the opportunities for them to practice their craft is either limited or is non-existent mm. so the issue isn't about do we have you know the intellectual capital to deal with this we do have that and we can create more of that but if you don't have in your own countries and a a condition or a society or infrastructure investment a culture that will allow you to you know do research and development yeah whether it's in pharmaceuticals or in medicine or any other aspects naturally mm -hmm. these people are going to go where the opportunity is I, this question of brain drain is there it's been there for a very long time no. how do you reverse that well it requires a, a, a system it requires authorities to make the necessary funds available it requires uh, a an education system that will actually create doctors and nurses and and scientists it requires institutions uh, and research uh, laboratories and etc all these things are needed I mean they're not impossible to do other countries they do them right uh, they're not impossible to do we know how to do it we have the means to do it. we have the people to do it. what is missing what is missing is political will you need to have a political will a leadership that says that I'm going to put put forward an agenda which prioritizes the needs of the people over the needs of the elite mm. this is a really important point because the elite in our countries when they're sick where do they end up they come they, to, they, they come to London um, right yes. yeah they come to London they go to America they go to private you know clinics why because they they got the money they can afford it where the average man on the street when he is sick yeah you know if he wants to get you know the you know in different countries people are very afraid of going to the the um the universe um, the hospitals the government hospitals because they think they're going to catch more diseases when they turn up there as if they if they went to a private place all right they're very skeptical about it so we need to have a a leadership in our country that says 
priorities of our citizens is more of a priority okay. than the, the rich elite who control the system. So you've got to have a change in politics. Mm -hmm. This is very important. That's why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam described the, the leadership and the political culture in Islam. He said, uh, Imam Ra'in, wa huwa mas'ul an ra'iyati. Imam is a ra'in. We say Imam is a guardian. But really, linguistically, Imam is a shepherd. And it's a very useful. Uh, interesting usage. So a shepherd, a shepherd like a shepherd in the field with sheep. A shepherd with yeah, a sheep with sheep. And sheep, by their very nature, they're weak, right? They're not very strong. They need a lot of caretaking. So mm. here, the Prophet gave us this example to say, right? When you think of a ruler, when you think of a politician, when you think of someone in charge, think of him as someone as a shepherd. And the shepherd, if you look at the way he manages the flocks, he's very careful. He looks after them. He takes care of them because they're fr very fragile. That yeah. type of politics where Islam um, uh, creates. And just comes to my mind an example of Amr, uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq. And when I read this example, Allah was about to cry. Was, it, was this a, was in the time when he was the, the Khalifa of the Muslims? This time is the Khalifa, and this is uh, the so Abu Bakr as Siddiq. He had this habit of after Fajr prayer that he would go outside of Medina, just go you know really far outside Medina, and he would do that every day. And Umar bin Al Khattab, he was always wondering. Okay, what is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq doing? Like, after Fajr, he just leaves the Medina and he goes outside Medina. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Amr al Khattab and Abu Bakr, they always try to compete with each other. Yes, Com competition. Yeah, competition. So he said to himself one day, I'm going to follow him and find out where he actually ends up. So he follows Amr al Khattab, uh, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Abu Bakr al you know, in some remote part, uh, you know, outside Medina, he turns up to this house, this sort of like, you know, uh, small house. And he goes into this house and he spends some time there. And then he comes out and then he goes back to Medina. And Amr bin al-Khattab, he actually saw this. And then after Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he left, he went and knocked on the door. Mm -hmm. And this very old lady, she was blind. She opened the door and there was kids in there what have you. And he asked her, you know, who are you? She said, I'm an old lady, I'm blind, and I have all these orphans, all these kids. He said, you know, this man who comes to your house, do you know his name? She said, no, I don't know his name. <laughs> then, uh, then, she, then he asked, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Then he asked, you know, what does he do? He said, he comes every day, he cleans our clothes, he cooks for us, and he just, you know, does household chores for us, and he does that every day. And then after that, Omar bin Khattab, he was almost in tears to say, Oh, Abu Bakr, you have made the jobs of the Khalifa to come afterwards, yeah, impossible. This, this is an example of Imam Ra'in. This is an example of someone who is a real caretaker of the affairs of the ummah. This is the culture, this is the politics that Islam has in mind uh, for arranging the affairs of people. And, and this is the rahmah and the mercy of Islam. And without this rahmah, without this mercy, uh, that what we are seeing, not only in the Muslim world, what we are seeing around the world today, mm. we are seeing the entire world is suffering.
from all sorts of injustice. And, you know, healthcare is obviously one of those vital issues of matter of life and death. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we can bring statistics from, you know, lack of sanitation, number of people who, are, who have basic sort of disease that could be eliminated, hasn't been eliminated. It's all there. But what is missing in the world is that political culture, that leadership. And as, as I say to you, Tajian, to the brothers and sisters, we as Muslims, we have something. We have something for the world. And we have something very special for the world. We have this light of Islam, this nur of Islam. And we have the responsibility in these times, in these very difficult testing times, just to highlight the Islamic approaches and Islamic solutions uh, in order to motivate the Muslims, all of us together, to bring back this way of life. SubhanAllah. Really, without the, the, the Islamic Khilafah state, because when we say it's a duty on the state, the only state that will implement that duty of using the resources, the human manpower, the scientists, to look after the society is the state that believes in this duty, that loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that wants to follow the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who sends a, a physician, a doctor to a sahaba to treat him as the leader. I will look after you. And so really the ummah is in need of this today. And, and in the absence of the khilafah, we see this disaster in Iran, in Egypt, in, in Pakistan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help our ummah with this, with this uh, real dire situation with corona. And the health system and leaders who are, I wanted to say who are responding, but not what kind of response? You know, they, some of them are lying to hide the real issue. Uh, some of them are really inadequate things that they are doing. And, you know, Egypt, he wanted to keep the tourist places open. What? So tourists can bring Corona to the country. You're a leader. Look after the people. Use the resources. So it's a really dire situation. And we need a state that will look after this Ummah. Um, so the Ummah needs the states. Now, in its absence, we actually, so this is something we should work and put hands together for. In its absence, we one interesting bit to kind of like end on is the reaction of Muslims in those countries. Um, not They don't look into the leaders because they don't expect much from them. And really they turn their hands and their hearts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So um, did you see that video from, from uh, Tangiers? Yeah, it's amazing, amazing okay. video. Once, uh, yes, I mean our audience may have seen it. If not, it's it's incredible. Okay. Let's uh, play that video, Brancis. This is Tangier. This is in Morocco, and obviously with coronavirus and the desperate situation we face, people are not looking to the government because they, they think they're useless. But people, the strong iman, they turn to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So these are uh, this is a video from Tangiers, which some of you may have seen. Let's let's have a listen. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله في الليلة الماضية اهتزت مدينة طنجة الواقع في شمال المغرب على وقع التكبير والتهليل والاستغفار حتى بزوغ الفجر في جميع أرجاء تلك المدينة الرائعة الجميلة كجمال وروعة أهلها لجوءا ودعاء وتضرعا إلى الله سبحانه وتعالى
فما أجمل التكبير وما أجمل العودة إلى الله العلي الكبير سبحان الله ومع أصوات التكبير والاستغفار بدأت أمطار الخير تتساقط الشر كله واجعل ما أصاب الناس من البلاء سببا في عودتهم وأوبتهم إليك يا الله آمين يا رب العالمين ما شاء الله that's a very moving video people making dua and تكبير دعاء الله سبحانه وتعالى so much خير in this ummah that you know turning to Allah may Allah سبحانه وتعالى accept those beautiful duas um Dawood Scott said, subhanAllah, incredible. Uh, Aurangzeb Abu Sufiya says that, uh, let me see if I can bring his comment on the screen. I'm trying to work out how to do this. So Aurangzeb Abu Sufiya said, healthcare in Muslim countries like Bangladesh is also shocking, where healthcare professionals try to keep people who are ill or in need in hospital for profit or money. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh... You know, this is not only in Bangladesh. This is a you know across the Muslim world, um, and um, and I think you know there is a um, there is a sentiment uh, amongst the Muslims when they look to the Western countries and they see the Western countries relatively when it comes to providing healthcare and education, they're, they're faring much better, uh, and but as a result of that, you see there is this direction to look towards the West. Um, and uh, and you know we have a responsibility to say look you know the muslims they have a, we have a capability we have the means at our hand to create a health system for the muslims um in, in these countries and we've got to take this message and i think you know we're coming to the end of the show mm. is that those who are listening those who are watching is to take this message to say you know in the muslim countries that we have this responsibility to create a society to create a system to implement Islam, where although today we are looking to, towards the West in terms of healthcare, there was once upon a time the Western world was looking towards the Muslim world in yes. terms of healthcare and education and all other aspects of life because we were leading the, uh, mankind uh, <coughs> by Islam, and uh, <coughs> and today I think you know there is an opportunity uh, for the Muslim Ummah to again. To take that leadership position, and I was mentioning to you, Taji, a couple of days ago. If you look at in this whole coronavirus, there isn't a a, a, a leadership uh, in the world today. Everyone is actually just you know 
either trying to protect their throne or protect their their their, their positions or trying to manage their own problems but this problem is a global problem yes right and right now it's nearly like every country for it for him for themselves you know we'll close our borders we'll do what we can but this this I mean, thing has no borders yeah it's for example today the who i mean that seems like the face of global global leadership world health organization but they're a health organization of you know of uh, of physicians and doctors and what have you mm. and they're raising for example money from private individuals mm. and companies uh, in order to fight this issue this issue is not by individuals and companies this issue requires states to be involved to solve this problem and there isn't a leadership in the world today yeah whether you're looking at china whether you're looking at america whether you're looking at the eu there's an absence of leadership where here the world is crying for a leadership so the muslims we have an opportunity uh, in these uh, in these times to start thinking about how can we lead the world by Islam by the Rahmah of Islam Subhanallah. Um, One quote to show you actually to make that point. This is this is a quote you sent me earlier um, a Muslim sister professor Asma Yusuf Ahmed al-Diab um, So this is from a, from a thesis and it says in conclusion the prophet's health and medical directives represent the main pillars of a medical and health renaissance witnessed by the world later these directives are considered the spring from which doctors have consumed generation after generation and which serves as the keys that facilitated the research and investigation in health and medical fields our science proves every day the greatness of these directives and their scientific credibility so you know, for me, it's that the Muslims in the time of the Khilafah, in the time of the Abbasid, Uthmani, Umayyad, uh, Nuruddin, all these great hospitals that they created in Damascus and other places, the inspiration was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The inspiration was from the hadith of Rasulullah that tells us that for every illness, there is a cure. So the Muslims were spurred on, if we go and find the cure, if we build facilities, if we do the research, if we help to cure people by the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will get reward from Allah. We will have a good status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a state with that kind of vision brings together resources, scientists, creates universities. I think, you know, when we think of the greatness of the Muslims in the past, it's not just that they just woke up and they decided to be great. There was something motivating them to endeavor, to strive for the pleasure of Allah in this world and the next life. And with all those things brought together by an Islamic state, by the Khilafah state, we, we, we really did amazing things. So the inspiration was for the Quran and the Sunnah, which motivated human beings. And we need a state again that will inspire us and use us together and motivate us, inshallah ta'ala, to create these facilities in the Muslim world, remove these borders, and really, uh, you know, a great example for the whole of mankind, bi'ithnillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. Brothers and sisters, today we've been talking about the Muslim countries. Uh, make dua for, for our brothers and sisters, many problems that exist there. Um, sorry, just looking at some comments as well. So Abu, Abu Shahid Shu'aib said, assalamu alaikum. In the EU, there are current talks on how this COVID-19 exposed the nationalistic policies despite their supposed unity due to the current state of our division do you think individuals in the population will be able to pressure muslim rulers with this situation i mean i think in terms of muslims even with our current rulers we have a responsibility 
to uh, account them and to make sure they do their duties uh, because they are the ones that, who have the means, uh, the greatest means in order to uh, look after Muslims. So in our countries, we need to challenge them to say, you know, if there isn't any uh, hospital beds or if there isn't any um, testing kit, mm. all the things that we need, we need to challenge them, we need to motivate them, we need to account them, mm. because saving lives is, is the utmost importance. And I think it's a duty on Muslims to account our rulers, whether they are uh, whether they are the current despotic rulers or whether they are Islamic rulers, yeah? Mm. Duty of accounting the rulers is a duty upon all Muslims. So therefore, yes, you know, in the Muslim countries, we need to raise our voices for the incompetence and the mismanagement to expose them. Now, we know that they're not going to respond, many of them, but they all feel the pressure of the Muslims. That's really important because I think one of the things that the Muslims uh, in the Muslim world, and it's changing, and it's changing with you know what we've seen with the Arab uh, Springs and what have you. Muslims are slowly beginning to now not accept the status quo. We need to mm. keep up that pressure to say it is not good enough, yeah, that you exploit us and you oppress us and you don't look after our affairs. We are going to challenge you. We're going to account you. And if you don't look after our affairs, then we will remove remove you. That pressure, that accountability, that expectation needs to be. Uh, there in the Muslim Ummah, you know, as a result of this, you are going to see reactions, you are going to see some changes, yeah? yeah? So that's really important. So we need to maintain that and we need to use, and programs like this and others is part of that effort. Uh, um Abdullah, subhanAllah, there's a lot of khair, this is a comment from Um Abdullah, uh, there's a lot of khair goodness in the Ummah, especially in the Muslim world. Her emotions need to be guided into the right thoughts so she can reach her destination, the Khilafah state, inshallah, to be reestablished. For that, she needs cooperation from those kind of da'wah all over the world. Very true, my sister. One last video before we finish it. It's a video, again, showing the goodness in the Ummah, and this video is from... Uh, somebody said it's from Turkey, and I think apparently it's food was left for people who don't have food. Um, I, I don't know if it's from Turkey, but somebody, this is somebody from somebody said this is from somewhere in the Muslim world and how people trying to help each other. So people can come and pick uh, from that if they are in need. Allah, goodness in our ummah. Brothers and sisters, um, this show is nightly. Tomorrow, insha'Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Dr. Abdul Wahid will be uh, back here. And as a doctor, he's now having to deal with, obviously, um, people with symptoms and, 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 and stuff of COVID-19. And uh, he wants to share with us, he wants to talk to us about people dying alone. Uh, this is one of the realities that is happening with COVID-19 that some of the people in hospital, because of the risk of infection, people dying alone. And this is something which we need to think about and, and actually prepare ourselves for. And how does Islam help us in dealing with that situation that uh, we or our loved ones may face? So 9 p.m. tomorrow with Dr. Abdul Wahid, Ustad Abu Yusuf, Barakalafiq for joining me. Let's, uh, Let's let's this 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 beautiful dua from this brother that we currently end the program with, 
let's listen to this dua. Say amin at the end of it uh, for Allah's protection and help with this situation that we face. Allahumma ya Rabbi qad arhabana hadha alwaba Nadu'uka biddu'a Ya munazzil adda Anzil addawa Warfa' anna albala Wa'anzil alayna al-shifa يا رافع السماء برحمتك نستغيث يا مغيث أنت الذي تحيي وتميت ارحمنا بالشفاء وكلما قال هذا الدعاء يا Brothers and sisters, thank you very much for joining us. Please share the video. Um, love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your ideas. Um, Abu Yusuf, Barakallahu Feek, for joining me today. And inshallah, uh, hopefully, I'll have you on again. Barakallahu Feek, I just want to mention to our brothers and sisters that the hadith of the Prophet, which is very uh, apt uh, given our current situation. Uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, مَثَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي تَوَدِّهِمْ وَتَرَحُمِهِمْ وَتَعَاتُفِهِمْ مَثَلُ الْجَسَدِ إِذَا اشْتَكَى مِنْهُ عُدْوٌ تَدَاعَ لَهُ سَائِرُ الْجَسَدِ بِالصَّحْرِ وَالْحُمَّةِ This hadith is an uh, incredible hadith uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of a believer, of believers in regards to mutual love, affection, uh, and empathy is like that of one body and when any limb of it aches the whole body aches because of sleeplessness and fever subhanallah this hadith i think you know um uh it's a incredible hadith because literally not are we you know experiencing um uh, uh, non-physical pains and, and aches, we are now, with coronavirus, is literally in the bodies of Muslims. Um, uh, and uh, the hadith of the Prophet is an example that we are a one ummah, like a like a one body. And, uh, you know, keep the Muslims uh, wherever they are in your du'as. And, uh, and, and this type of discussion that we've been having, it needs to go far and wide to raise the awareness of the Muslims so that we can solve the pressing problems that we have uh, in our countries um, and then present Islam as an alternative, uh, as an example for the rest of mankind. We'll put links to the last few videos, I'll put them up under this as well as on my page. Uh, take care, may Allah Ta'ala keep protecting us, keeping us strong, positive, confident, seeking the best from Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe. 
Share and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.